So cuts in bulks are good at keeping people focused as mm -hmm. far as the nutrition and the diet are concerned because you have a short-term goal um, and you're going to work really, really hard to get to that. And that yeah. goal changes a lot. So it keeps people a little bit more focused on, on the long-term thing. Welcome to the Wits and Weights podcast. I'm your host, Philip Pape, and this twice-a-week podcast is dedicated to helping you achieve physical self-mastery by getting stronger, optimizing your nutrition, and upgrading your body composition. We'll uncover science-backed strategies for movement, metabolism, muscle, and mindset with a skeptical eye on the fitness industry so you can look and feel your absolute best. Let's dive right in. Wits and Weights community, welcome to another episode of the Wits and Weights podcast. Today, we're diving into how to optimize your health and performance with Dustin Lambert. He's a fellow nutrition coach that I met through the Wits and Weights Facebook group and our coaching cert connection with NCI. Dustin's going to share challenges and strategies for fat loss as you get leaner, the pros and cons of bulking and cutting versus main gaining, and unique issues to consider when you have a metabolic disorder or autoimmune disease. He'll also tell us the optimal protein and sodium intake for strength and hypertrophy, the impact of red meat, saturated fat, and cardio on health outcomes and performance, and we may even get into things like blood work, tendonitis, wearable fitness trackers, AI chatbots like ChatGPT. Dustin Lambert is an NCI certified nutrition coach in the Houston area. He's also a strength and conditioning coach, and he specializes in helping people manage metabolic disorders and autoimmune disease correct their blood lipid profiles, prevent cardiovascular disease, lose fat, and restore health using barbells and periodized nutrition programming. Dustin's also a full-time husband and father, part-time hot rod builder, and once a Marine, always a Marine. All right, Dustin, uh, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Philip. Cool. So you and I met through... Uh, Facebook, you know, I think I invited you to my group, uh, the Wits and Weights community, and mm -hmm. you've been super engaged. And we've been chatting back and forth over the months. We're like, let's just have you on because you're an expert. You've got a lot of cool um, specialties, I'll say, in your coaching approach. Some of it alluded to in the intro. Now, we're both certified coaches with NCI. We both love barbell training, periodization, using data, optimizing your health. Given all that, okay, the big question I want to know, what is your purpose here? What is your purpose as a man and as a coach with all of this? And why is that important to you? Ooh, <laughs> yeah, right out of the gate, uh, man. So my, my purpose as a man, so going through all of this and, and starting to, to help people get healthy, um, and address these, you know, kind of major medical issues that they're having has really made me take a step back and um, kind of appreciate my my family a little bit more um, and realize, you know, a lot of the the reasons why I started lifting and why I started eating healthier um, and getting into all of this was because, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to be able to play with my daughter. So I had, you know, my wife and I had my daughter at a, um, a little bit of a later age, not too, too late, but you know, I'm probably going to be in my five zeros when she graduates high school. Um, so, you know, I want to be around for that. I want to be active and I want to be uh, a part of her life. I, you know, I don't, I don't want to be relegated to the, to the recliner. So going through all of that has made me um, take a step back, remember why I started all of this and, um, you know, reevaluate some of the things I'm doing in my life and how I, 
how I manage my days and, and just try and do more things with my family. Yeah. I mean, I can relate so much to that. I think we're probably similar in age and parenting age as well. My kids just turned 11 and nine and I'm 42. So that puts me in somewhat that ballpark, maybe not quite, but, but, but I understand, right? Like it's these, these things in life that really matter. And as you get older, it's no longer about the, the silly things we pursued in our twenties, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. Right. And which, you know, you had to pursue as a young guy trying to build things and meet people and whatnot. But the idea that you're creating a legacy and you want to be physically there, which translates to everything else, you know, your mental and emotional health and everything else. So given that's where you are now, how did, how did you lead to that over the last, you know, let's say since your twenties or thirties, how did you get here? Um, yeah, so I was, I was always really active. I played a lot of sports in high school. I mean, maybe not a lot, but you know, I definitely wasn't not doing something. Um, Mm -hmm. so I was always active. And when I got out of high school, I went right into the Marines and that's a, a super active, um, you know, field to be in. When I left the Marines, um, I went to school and, uh, learned, uh, mechanics and all that stuff. And I kind of, let the physical, um, pursuits go. And that just kind of carried on for a while. I met my wife and we got married. And then, you know, one day we both kind of just decided like, Hey man, we need to, we need to do something, you know, we need to, to get back in shape. Um, we need to start eating right. We started, um, doing some videos, I don't know if it was Beachbody or something I don't sure. know, like that. We started P90X, there. Something like that. Yeah. Right? P90X something. Yeah. I don't remember. But um, yeah. So I was doing like rows with the five gallon water jug. and Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so we started that. And somewhere along the way, I started listening to um, a political podcast. And the guy on there kept referencing Mark Ripito, starting strength, Mark Ripito, starting strength. And so one day I was like, man, I'm going to look this guy up. So I put it into the old Google thing and uh, picked up some YouTube videos and I watched the first one and I heard him talking. I think he was on a, a podcast interview and he was talking about, you know, everything that's in the starting strength book. And I just kind of like the light bulb went on. And I, I've always been a really skinny guy. I'm uh, what we in the biz call a hard gainer. Mm-hmm. So as he started laying out this path, I was like, oh, this is the information that I've been looking for my whole life. And so, yeah. So, you know, I got under the squat bar the first, uh, the first time and have been doing it for the better part of 10 years now. Yeah. It's been a minute. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, bar- once people discover barbells, and I don't care who you are, how old you are, what you've done in the past. I mean, I've seen it with my clients. I've seen, you know, women who are 50 who have never picked up a barbell and they're open to it and then they do it. And it's like, just everything changes. I mean, it's not just physical, mm-hmm. right? It's mental. And, you know, I wonder now that you're, now that you're a coach, right? You're applying a lot of these uh, principles and philosophies that you have, including with the barbell training, you know, how do you, how do you know that's the right thing to do? And how do you measure the success and impact, right? We're NCI coaches. Part of what we learned is, you know, connection-based coaching, making an impact. How do you measure that? Man, that's, um, I think that's, that's one of the hardest things for me is gauging how much impact I'm having in someone's life. Uh, I, I definitely am doing this to make an impact. I, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to get rich. Um, so yeah. That's a good so, thing to clear up, man, because people yeah. are like, oh, we get into coaching 10K a month, right? For month yeah. one. And, you know, nope. Yeah. Nope. It doesn't work that way. Yep. Lots of free coaching going on. Um, 
yeah. So how to gauge that? I don't know. I really, I think I try and help my clients um, continually month to month and quarter to quarter and year to year. I have a lot of long-term clients um, and I think it, it helps to, to remind them just how far they've come from day one. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, you're a, you're a starting strength guy, so you have the logbook. So I always have people start out with a logbook um, or they have the online um, app that we use. And, you know, they're whenever they're feeling hard or down or wondering if this is the right direction or whatever, I say, let's go back to day one. Mm-hmm. Let's remember where you were. That's good. Yeah, that's that's the facts, right? That's mm-hmm. like where you were and where yep. you are. Yep. Which is why which is why we collect data because you know there there are people that for whatever reason um chide the the use of data, whether it's food tracking or tracking your workouts or what have you. And you know, I don't know why, maybe maybe the inconvenience of it or because it's uncomfortable or it's something different, or people don't like data, whatever it is, but once you do, I mean it it pales in comparison to not doing that and what what you mm-hmm. fail to achieve when you don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just my opinion. So anyway, let, let, let's jump into the topics. Um, cause I know we wanted to talk about some fun things like you and I lately have been going through fat loss phases in parallel, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're still on yours or are you done with it yet? I, I am trying to squeeze out the last remaining bit. So I have a, a cruise. We're going to Mexico at the okay. end of end of the month. So I, I didn't get my goal. Um, so I'm on a little bit of a break right now and I'm going to try and, and squeeze a few more weeks out of it, but squeeze it out. All right. Yeah. Keep, make sure to get that last week or two, right. To get the, yeah. the cards back. Yeah. Fill, <laughs> fill it up. Um, so it's funny. Cause so you're, you're more of a, you know, you're, you're a stronger, bigger guy than me based on your experience, where we are, you know, not comparing. I'm just saying that's a fact. So for me, losing, losing fat now was, was kind of easy, but I'm also not trying to get to that like sub 10% or around 10% mm. body fat. Cause I, I need to go build more mass. But for people who are, thinking of losing fat, want to lose fat, currently trying to lose fat with all the challenges that brings. Right. And I've talked about a million times on this podcast. We don't have to like lay out all the challenges. I think the big ones are metabolic adaptation, you know, hunger, loss of strength, but what's your take on this? Why does it become harder maybe in the different phases, right? Initially, maybe it's not so hard, but once you get into it, and then as you said, trying to squeeze that last bit, why does it get so hard? And then how can you keep making progress to finish it up? Mm. Yeah. So it, it gets harder. Um, I, I mean, simply it comes down to the metabolic adaptations and, and also as you lose body mass, body tissue, it just simply doesn't require as much energy as it did before to, to go through day to day. So as you, as you drop weight, your TDEE is going to go down despite how active you may want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that is a continuing challenge. Um, and I, I really like the analogy. I can't remember where I heard it from, but weight loss or fat loss is kind of like wringing out a wet towel. And the first time you take that towel and you dunk it Mm. underwater and it comes back out, it's fully saturated. The first time you go to get water out of there, it's really easy. And it kind of, it just doesn't matter what you do to it. You can twist it, you can spin it around, you can squeegee it between your thumb and your forefinger, and you're going to get a lot of water out of that thing the first time. And I think that's probably most people's experience with fat loss or weight loss in general. And that can lead people to think that they know more about it than they actually do. Mm. But, um, yeah, so it, it really does come down to the metabolism and in, in how that thing 
you know, how it gets harder and harder and harder, the closer and closer you get to being, um, whatever your goal is. Yeah. And, and is it as, and of course I'm playing devil's advocate because I want to, I want to hear your take on this as the expert, but, um, is it the, is it purely the hunger and the symptoms that come from that when you get further in? So where I'm going with that is you might start at a metabolism of, let's say you burn 2,500 calories. And so you want to burn, you know, you want to lose a pound a week. So you're 500 calorie deficit. And so you're eating 2000 calories. Most people would thinking, hearing that are like, yeah, that's fine. I would love to, some people would love to learn, lose fat yeah. on 2000 and others are like, yeah, that's fine. That's normal. And as you adapt, right, your metabolism drops and drops and drops. And before long, you're maybe at 16, maybe at 1500, you know, you're starting to push that limit. Um, is that all? Is that what it comes down to? Is just our body is now like starved for resources, and we're also so hungry. Is that the main challenge, or are there other things involved? Um, I think that's probably the main challenge that people fight against. You're definitely going to have some hormonal changes mm-hmm. that are happening due to that, um, which is why we periodize our nutrition is so that we mm-hmm. can, you know, have an exit strategy for all of that and come out of it and fix it. Um, but uh, yeah, from from my experience and, you know, just dealing with this with clients, I think the biggest thing people deal with is hunger. Um, also, the, the, the mental aspect of it. Mm. So as you, you know, the longer and longer you, you do it for, the more and more plateaus you start to see, the more challenging the thing becomes. You're not seeing the progress that you were in the beginning. You know, if you have a, if you have a lot of, of weight to lose, you can drop 12 pounds in a week, you know, and you run that for 12 weeks and now maybe it's two pounds mm-hmm. and that can be quite frustrating and you don't understand why that's happening. Yeah. So you mentioned, you mentioned multiple plateaus, you know, we use things like diet breaks and other, other things to, to take that mental break, right? Because mm-hmm. like, you, like you said, it's mainly mental. We can't trick, we can't trick or, or over recover our metabolism. Like it is what it is. So, you know, mm-hmm. even if you get yeah. back to where you were two weeks ago, it's just going to come right back and adapt. Um, what, uh, like what's your, some of your favorite go-tos when it comes to that? Is it taking diet breaks? Are there other strategies people might try so that they don't just fall off the rails and say, wow, this isn't working anymore. I like diet breaks, um, refeeds for some people. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, Definitely try and and uh, so if someone is utilizing um, tracking, uh, counting calories or macros or whatever whatever method of restriction we're doing, I don't want them to stop that mm-hmm. because you don't you don't want to get out of the habit. So we're just taking a break. We're not being we're not on hiatus. We're just kind of you know allowing you to to get back in the game. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. Do so. Do they still track while taking a break, or are they also yes. taking a break from tracking? No, they still that, track while taking a break. Okay. Yeah, 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 right. That makes sense. And this is a uh, is at maintenance, basically by upping the carbs. Is that your your main strategy for that, or is there another approach? Mm. Yeah, so the carbs will come up. Um, mostly carbs. It depends on what somebody's craving. So sometimes people are are you know jonesing for I don't know whatever chocolate or something. Like all right, mm-hmm. well let's we'll we'll go ahead and allow some fat in here. But I generally try and do um, bump up the carbs. Uh, that way they they start feeling a little bit better through yep. their workouts, and they also start maybe seeing and feeling a little bit more pump um, mm-hmm. f- from the lifting, and that can help adjust their attitude. They're like, oh no, actually I'm starting to look pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Especially if they get yeah. that drink that large glass of water before they lift too, right? <laughs> um, well, that that's no. It's good that you mentioned not only the diet break itself, but also the 
the ability to maybe eat some indulgences or some things that you enjoy that you kind of avoid, you've been avoiding, mm-hmm. you know, at, with that discipline. Cause we, we like to balance the lifestyle with the discipline, knowing that there's some compromises you have to make in fat loss. But like you said, if, Hey, if you haven't had that chocolate for four or six or eight weeks and all of a sudden you've got a little extra calories and it is more fat. So what go for it, enjoy it kind of mm-hmm. again, that mental side. All right. So you mentioned periodization. Um, one form of periodization that many people are familiar with is cuts and bulks, right? Some people don't mm-hmm. like the terms, but whatever. We, we, you know, it's we all understand what we mean, right? Fat loss versus building muscle. Um, yeah. You know, I just finished my diet, so now I'm I'm, I'm at maintenance, ready to build muscle, which I just love that side of it, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Especially because it's a lot. If you do it right, it's a lot more of the year than losing fat. Mm-hmm. So. What are, you know, but some people say, well, you shouldn't be switching back and forth always. Can't you ever just maintain? What are the pros and cons of cuts and bulks versus maintaining or the word you threw in here, main gaining, which implies like very lean gaining? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what's your thoughts on all of this and when do you recommend them? Yeah. So I think um, as far as recommendations goes, it's going to come down to the individual and kind of maybe how I'm feeling um, initially and, you know, plans can always change. You can start one direction and somebody's like, I absolutely hate this. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's do it this other way. There's not just one way to do it. Um, yeah. So some pros and cons. So the, the main gaining or I've heard it called gain taining too, mm-hmm. um, that can, uh, that can be a little bit easier if you don't really like tracking, you don't really like counting stuff. Um, you're kind of good at maybe limiting or moderating, um, some unhealthier choices in your, in your food, or maybe things that don't necessarily, um, get you closer to your goal. Mm -hmm. Uh, and definitely if you're, so I think if you were, you know, starting a, a strength training regimen and you really had a plan to do this for nine months to a year or something like that then main gaining may be um, a viable option for you. Mm-hmm. The pros, you know, those are the pros. The The cons to main gaining is that you really don't see a lot of progress happening mm-hmm. very quickly. Okay. So so if um, if just watching the number on the scale go up slowly over time or down uh, and really focusing on building strength or developing technique in your lifts, or maybe you're a runner and you're trying to, um, you know, go for a 10 K or a marathon or something like that. And you're really focused on your, um, athletic performance that can, that can be, a um, sorry, I lost my train of thought there. Yeah, no, no, that's, yeah, I get so. what you're saying. So your, your, your point is you can't, you really, it doesn't maximize your pro, your progress when it comes to building muscle. So, but it could be a good alternative yeah. if you have other goals that aren't yeah, specifically yeah, yeah, yeah. maximizing your progress. Yeah. So if you're, yeah. if you're focused on your athletic performance, um, and not so much really what you're seeing in the mirror, um, main gaining can be a good, a good tool to use there. So you're not, um, you're not cutting your, stringing yourself too short, doing too much at one time. Yeah. Um, the cuts in the bulks, I think is probably better for somebody who is maybe, you know, two years or three years into their lifting journey. Um, and you're really trying to develop a good physique or you're really trying to, um, get a significant amount of body fat down in a short period of time. Um, so cuts and bulks are good at keeping people focused as mm-hmm. far as the nutrition and the diet are concerned, because you have a short-term goal 
Um, and you're going to work really, really hard to get to that. And that yeah. goal changes a lot. So it keeps people a little bit more focused on, on the long-term thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great perspective that even though we don't want quick fixes for any of this stuff, we want to change our lifestyle. We have the long-term, the ultimate goal is our health and all the things that we get for that health, like you mentioned with your kids and being a father and so on. And that's, that's really what a lot of people want. At the same time, as humans, we have a terrible attention span, right? And mm-hmm. we like to have quick wins. So, you know, it sounds like breaking it down to that shorter goal could be a really good motivator. Breaking it down to even shorter goals than that in terms of your mm-hmm. habits. All of those things are really good strategies for for doing this, which is gives people hope. Because I think a lot of people go through life, they're like, well, I'm a little heavy on the scale. I'm just going to, I need to go on a diet. And it's this mm-hmm. this on-off switch and there's not really any structure or drive to to do it the right way um so okay so the main gaining is good for some in some cases but if you really want you know more efficient results in terms of physique you may want to be going for a specific short-term goal uh i want to get into some of the things that make your coaching unique you talk about metabolic disorders autoimmune diseases um i have like an undifferentiated uh mixed connective tissue disease which is autoimmune disease and very interestingly last year after i had titrated down a medication i take for that i started to get um swelling in my wrists and ankles which is symptomatic of people who have rheumatoid arthritis sometimes get Mm -hmm. that right and other Mm -hmm. autoimmune diseases and man it was just a huge disruption to my lifting (laughs) because you felt like you felt weak weak in like in your grip and in your feet when everything else was strong. It's a very odd thing. So mm. I'm, I'm curious for you, um, what are the unique challenges clients face when trying to achieve fat loss with these kinds of disorders? Yeah, so um, I can't speak for everybody, but um, the, the clients that I have that kind of tell me about the symptoms and the challenges and all the things that they're facing, one of the biggest things across everything, across all of these diseases is the amount of fatigue and muscle soreness mm. that people experience. Um, and I know, you know, Gen Pop, we, we like to say that I'm fatigued or whatever, but this is different. It is, it is not the general state of tiredness that people are experiencing from crappy jobs and junk sleep. Um, I've, I've had several clients tell me that what they are experiencing could be akin to climbing a mountain. So if you were to spend all day mountain climbing, the amount of physical exhaustion and just the, the bone deep soreness, muscle soreness, joint, achy joints, mm. all that stuff that, that you would experience from that, that's what they go through on a daily basis. And sometimes that lasts for weeks months even. Um, so that's, that's definitely a big challenge across all of them. Um, that can be extremely challenging to program for as well. Um, so, you know, those are challenges in all of it. Uh, you mentioned the medication. So a lot of people are on medications, um, and a lot of those medications that are addressing one part of their disease or disorder will often make it a little bit um, increase their risk for some other aspect of it. So like for metabolic syndrome, um, if somebody has uh, high blood lipids, they might be put on a statin or something like that. And 
certain things can um, increase your risk of type 2 diabetes, which is, you know, blood glucose is another part of that, which is kind of the thing you're trying to avoid out of this. Um, Same thing for for the listener, right? Metabolic disease being pre-diabetes. Pre-diabetes, yeah. 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 Um, So... You know, same thing for for uh, blood pressure. Um, you get put on diuretics uh, um, or beta blockers, and those can increase your risk of type two diabetes. So sometimes there is a constant management of blood glucose, carbohydrate intake, protein intake. Um, uh, I'm starting to learn a lot about chrononutrition. Um, just okay, you know, timing, yeah. yeah. So it it can be it can be absolutely nerve wracking for for these people. Um, and, you know, my heart just goes out to them every time they have to go through this stuff. So um, now would you say, I mean, would you say one of the, the biggest challenges is is on the lifting side with their ability to do certain movements or is it nutrition or is it kind of it really depends? It kind of really depends. Um, so if somebody's having um, a soreness or fatigue flare up, then um, you know, we have to pull back on the lifting and maybe modify whatever it is that they're doing. Cause they can't, you know, I can't bend over today. I can't bend my knees. I can't yeah. do whatever you are having the experience with your arms. Um, so we may, you know, just have to modify stuff or eliminate lifts or whatever it is they're doing. And then, you know, the nutrition side of that is, sometimes we may be in a fat loss phase or they may have been working really hard to get to a fat loss phase. And then this flare up happens and I'm kind of like, we're going to have to increase your calories Mm. so that you can deal with this. And that can, yeah, it can be a mental, (laughs) a mental challenge for them to, to get through. Yeah, I bet. I I, I hear what you're saying. I had a client with ulcerative colitis, same thing. You just never knew when it would flare up and people have digestive issues and people have Mm. all sorts of, of ailments. So it's, this is where having a coach can be really helpful. It sounds like because you can walk them through. You probably have a broad base of knowledge of strategies to, to I'll say, push through these or at least get around them so that you don't just give up, right? W- would you say yeah. that's somewhat the sentiment there? Yeah. yeah. So I try to tell everybody uh, whenever we start a coaching relationship together, the first call, um, we'll go over all this stuff and I try to tell them, uh, listen, I'm not the guy on YouTube. I'm not the guy on the internet who's going to tell you that we're curing stuff at, at best, at best exercise and nutrition at this point in your life is going to be a management tool. And sometimes it's going to feel like we just spent the last three months, you know, spinning our wheels to just trying to prevent you from regressing. And that's exactly what it's going to be. Yeah. But which, which means the alternative would have been to be sedentary and worse off. Would yeah. You say? Yeah. That's important for people to hear. Yes, like you said, that there's no, there's probably no person on the planet that wouldn't benefit from some form of additional movement and, and mm-hmm. lifting of some kind, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, all right. So let's shift to one of the other topics we wanted to talk about. Um, some of the nuts and bolts here: protein. Let's let's talk protein. I always love talking okay. protein. Um, so in the context of strength, of hypertrophy, uh, getting big and strong is what we're talking about. How much protein is optimal? Um, what are some common myths around the consumption of protein that you've dealt with? Yeah. So how much protein is optimal? Um, so I know we have the magic number of one gram per pound of body weight. And I I have come to not really like that number very much. So when we look to the science and what the the studies are actually saying, I haven't seen one single study where that 
number is mentioned. It's always a range. Yes. And so it can be difficult for people also to really try and consume that much protein. I mean, you have, you know, I have, I have female clients who are five foot two and 130 pounds, 140 pounds, something like that. And it's, you know, trying to get them to eat 140 pounds of protein or 100, 140 grams of protein per day is really, really hard for them to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think what the science tells us is that as far as gaining muscle or strength, we can be as low as 0.7 grams per pound. So I will often start people there. Mm-hmm. And as we progress, as we move along, um, and definitely as we go into fat loss phases, I'll titrate that number up to something that's very tolerable. So I kind of like, do you know who Christopher Gardner is, the, the Stanford researcher? Yeah, I've heard him. Go tell us yeah. about him. So he has, um, well, people can look him up, but he has a, he has a, a philosophy when he, when he does these studies and he does the low carb versus the high carb and all this Mm -hmm. stuff and blah, blah, blah. And so he has a philosophy that I really like, um, to implement not for everything, but for some stuff, but like this protein, which is limbo titrate quality. So limbo, meaning how low can, can it go? So I'm putting that on myself. How low can I start this person on their protein intake to make them successful? How low can we go? Mm -hmm. Okay, so we'll start that 0.7, and then you know if that's too high, still I have to lower my standards to meet them where they're at. Mm-hmm. And then once we meet that limbo, once we meet that lowest amount, then we titrate. We start titrating up until we get to the point where I can't take it anymore. I cannot have any more protein. This is this is it. This is what I can do. And then we start focusing on the quality of that protein. Cool. My name is Tony. I'm a strength lifter in my 40s. Thank you to Phil and his Wits and Weights community for helping me learn more about nutrition and how to implement better ideas into my strength training. Phil has a, a very, very good understanding of macros and chemical compounds and hormones and all that. And he's continuously learning. And that's what I like about Phil. He's got a great sense of humor. He's very relaxed, very easy to talk to. Uh, one of the greatest things about Phil, in my view, is that he practices what he preaches. He also works out with barbells. He trains heavy, not as heavy as me, but he trains heavy. So if you talk with him about getting in better shape, eating better, he's probably going to give you some good advice. And I would strongly recommend you talk with him and he'll help you out. Thanks. Yeah, I like that approach. I mean, it's not too different from from what I would do and we've talked about, but it you have a that unique perspective with the limbo in that you know, I tend to just say, hey, let's get let's shoot for the let's let's shoot for the uh, the higher number, knowing that it's a stretch goal and then titrate to get to that number, kind of mm. keeping that goal in your brain and in your eyes. But I also have seen clients that just struggle. They just struggle. Mm-hmm. And it's like what you're saying could be an extremely valuable tool for the practical lifestyle that somebody has, which is what we're trying to do here is work with real people who are trying to get this done. So yeah. if if you're listening and you don't currently have enough protein and you know you need to get more protein because you listen to Dustin and me and all these other folks, um, Think about what tool works for you, and if if you know if you're getting point four, you, you want to get toward this point seven at least, and then just work from there. Um, I've had clients the other opposite direction. Just this week, I had one of my calls, and she's at like one point four. She just loves protein. Wow! And, <laughs> but she's in a fat loss phase, and like ah, I'm, I'm having a little trouble with energy. I'm like it's because it's because you're kind of trading off too much fat and carbs. Yeah, so let's yeah. let's go the other way, you know. Um, but that's good that you mentioned that the one gram per pound. I agree is like. 
even the the guys at Stronger by Science, everyone else will say that you don't really have to be there. Mm-hmm. It's it's just maybe an average, a stretch goal. It's an easy rule of thumb, all those things. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that's that's good um, that you mentioned that. Now, can ha- can people have too much protein? Mm, I don't know that you can really have too much protein. I think it's going to be hard to do, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the the three three grams per pound. Uh, yeah, lifters, I, yeah. Yeah, I don't think I would want to yeah, yeah. be in the same room with that person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, it depends on where you get your protein too. Yeah. So, uh, all right. So now let's talk, let's talk that you mentioned the blood, blood lipids preventing heart disease. Um, mm. you know, I know there's always, there's always been a little controversy around saturated fats and blood lipids and cholesterol and, what? and all really? these things. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Just a little <laughs> bit. Right. Uh, in both, on all directions, right. Mm-hmm. We see, we mm-hmm. see, especially going through, uh, I was on paleo for, I was on paleo. So you could treat these things like they're programs. Yeah. I did, I, I ate paleo for years and I was always in that crowd of like, you could eat however much saturated fat you want. You know, the cholesterol is meaningless, you know, and meanwhile, my cholesterol numbers were going up and up. Um, so with, with the on, ongoing debate we have around red meat, uh, saturated fat, what is their impact on health outcomes? What is their role in strength training and muscle growth? And then what should people do? Mm, okay. Yeah. So maybe let's, we'll start with the pros for, for muscle growth and for athletic performance. So the pros is that red meat, um, I don't really know about saturated fat, but red meat definitely is a very nutrient dense food. Um, has a lot of good stuff in there, a lot of stuff that you need. And depending on the individual, um, you may need to consume more of it. You may need to consume less of it, but as far as building muscle goes, I don't think there is, you know, that, that kind of seems to be the undisputed champion other than whey protein, um, Mm -hmm. in the, in the lifting world. Um, the saturated fat. You know what? Hold on. on. Before we go there, you, you you mentioned, okay, some people need more, some people less. Are we Mm -hmm. talking about like an iron deficiency or talking about something like that? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, iron deficiency would be one, um, B12. So if you, if you have a more vegetarian style of a diet and you are not focusing on the B12, um, you're not, you know, that's just something not people are not tracking, um, adding a little more protein and there may be something that I recommend to those individuals. Um, so, or they could just start eating red meat. So vegetarians who listen, yeah. this is great advice. Just start eating red meat. And no, I'm just kidding. Just un, unbridled amounts of red meat. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. Vegetarian plan. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Okay. And then, sorry. So then saturated fat. Yeah. So saturated fat. Um, now the saturated fat, I I really don't know about the, you know, nutrient density of that versus other fats, but from, uh, just an anecdotal perspective, uh, a saturated fat is associated with central adiposity. So fat around your midsection, and for me, I know that when I was much heavier and my trunk circumference was bigger, I felt more stable lifting heavier loads. So as my as my waist size has gone down, um, you know, even if I can lift the same amount, uh, a squat or a deadlift or overhead press or whatever it is, um, I definitely don't feel as stable, and I don't feel like I can brace into my belt as much. So just anecdotally you know, I think that's that for the saturated fat. Um, and then for saturated fat always is going to come with, um, the red meat. And so again, anecdotally, 
I think there is just something about feeling more energetic and feeling better. So when we look to low carb communities, paleo and keto and carnivore and all that stuff, that seems to be one of the the most common traits that people associate with red meat um, is just feeling better, having a little bit more energy. So you know, I I definitely think there may be something to that. You know, wow, you just you just gave well, wow, you just gave me a revelation, maybe the listeners as well. So you, you said that like all these low carb diets that are also high in animal products and fats. Mm. So, you know, hey, I'm feeling great. I'm all of a sudden low carb and I'm feeling great. It may not be the loss the the reduction in carbs so much as the increase in some of these nutritious mm. sources of, of fat and other energy. And and actually the same client that I suggested reduce protein and increase fat just a few days ago is like, hey, I felt like I had more energy. Uh, yeah, there you go. So it's, and you say it's anecdotal, but I'm sure there's, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's studies to back it up. We'll, we'll make that claim and then we'll have to go find yeah. them. But, uh, <laughs> internet. yeah, there you go. So actually, or chat GPT, you know, we're going to get to that GPT. later, right? Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's been a great tool for that kind of research. Yes. Um, what about, oh yeah. So the red meat, saturated fat, what about sodium, right? There's another one. I actually just heard the guys mm. on mind pump talk, talking about it again, how, you know, there's always been a thing with sodium and blood pressure. People get too much. And yet many of us, especially we eat more whole foods, I think don't get nearly enough. And there's some research that shows that like one fast food meal has as much sodium as a whole week's worth of whole foods, you know? So it's so lopsided from that perspective. Also, sodium's an electrolyte, at least, you know, from my perspective, that's a great thing. I, I tell people to salt their water and things like that. So let's just settle it here and now, Dustin, right? So the world knows what to do. Here, here it is. <laughs> if you're a recreational lifter, what, what's sodium? How much should you get? Okay. Yes. So most of my day is spent uh, trying to help people reduce the amount of sodium that they're okay. intaking. And I've done a little bit of research um, into this for just the general gym goer. Okay. So a lot of the, um, a lot of the recommendations that we're receiving in the recreational lifting community and, you know, the recreational athlete community is coming from social media influencers and other internet forms of information. And they are communicating science to us that, um, just doesn't apply to us. So the sodium recommendations for sport are for people who are generally like, we're talking about high level athletes here. Mm -hmm. We're talking marathon runners, um, professional athletes, D1 level college athletes. That's what all of these recommendations are being based on. So most people aren't even aware of how much salt or sodium they're taking in despite using tracking apps. That's just Mm -hmm. not something people are tracking. Um, so high levels of sodium, um, can cause some numerous health issues. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when we start hearing these, hearing these recommendations also combined with the fact that people have no idea how much they're taking in, how much salt they're taking in, it can lead them to start salting food that is already too salty. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's gonna that's gonna put you into the danger zone for a lot of these for a lot of these health issues. Um, so some of those things are hypertension. I actually develop. Uh, uh, yeah, I think I developed a salt sensitivity due to this very issue here. So I was I was of the crowd to just 
salt, salt, salt on everything. I need salt because I need that that uh, intramuscular fluid, that intercellular volumization. I got to have this. Um, yeah, I, it's it's touted as some you know major performance enhancer too. I sure. don't think that I don't think that that's really the case so um the average person if you start salting your food you're taking in too much um sodium and too much salt you may develop hypertension um even if you don't so there are people who are salt sensitive there are people who are not salt sensitive and you might start taking in a lot of salt and not see any issues with your blood pressure but that does Mm -hmm. not mean that you are escaping the effects of this because as you take in salt that salt is going to draw in water and the reason people's blood pressure gets high is because the volume of blood is now higher. Mm. So even though your your arteries and your veins have the, the capability to expand with this increased volume, your heart is pumping a larger volume okay, of fluid now. Yeah. So your heart has to work harder. Yeah. So, okay. So I, maybe I partially stand corrected, but what about people who have... Um, quote unquote, cleaned up their diet, or let's just say they've, they've transitioned. Maybe they've worked with you and have shifted to mostly, you know, 80, 90% whole foods and maybe the other 10 or 20% is processed foods. Are they, do they not have to worry about it at that point? Are they still potentially over salting? Are those the people that need to add salt? Like what, what's hmm. your take on that? Yeah. So my, my stance on the salt is, you know, the limbo, limbo titrate quality. Um, okay. So uh, from what I understand, I may be wrong, um, but the obligate amount of sodium for the human body is 500 milligrams a day. Okay. Okay. Um, It's not two or three grams. It is not two or three grams. That is a quarter. That is a quarter of a teaspoon. Um, Now, the recommendations that we get from uh, places like the USDA, the American Heart Association, all those other places... It can be a whole other topic, but those recommendations are generally to try and get an entire population to consume less sodium. Not that that is the optimal amount of sodium. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. So um, I really think the the lower you can get your sodium, the better off you're going to be. Um, yeah. So for most people, if you if you just try and meet the the, the guidelines, which is twenty three hundred milligrams per day. Um, I, I personally like the American Heart Association's guideline, which is 1,500 milligrams or less per okay. day. Um, I think that most people, if you've cleaned up your diet and and um, you're doing all the right things, that that's going to be more than enough sodium for you to worry about. Um, you don't need to worry about how much is lost in sweat. 95 to 98% of the sodium that you lose is actually done through your urine, not your sweat. Okay. Okay, this is really good to know because uh, I'm going to start looking at my salt and asking clients maybe to track a little bit because mm. I, I, f- I feel like I get three grams a day or something like that of salt easily mm-hmm. every day. So now granted, I'm eating more right now than I was. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Okay, good to know, man. See, so I learned something every time I, write, yeah, I, I guess on these shows. Um, uh, all right, let's, let's, uh, is there anything else about blood work you want to cover or we can get into training? Uh, yeah, I don't know. We can get in training. Yeah. All right. So, uh, I, we alluded to a little bit about what well, we talked about the autoimmune issues, but also people deal, a lot of people deal with tendinopathy of some kind. Like this is extremely mm-hmm. common overtraining, overuse, overreach, bad form, um, whatever, you know, I personally years ago had a really terrible squat rack grip, which is a very common thing, right? Uh, going when I was doing starting strength, learning the low bar, I had to meet with the coach. The coach helped me fix everything. Actually, uh, 
uh, what's his name? Cody Anino here in Connecticut. I don't know if you know him. He's a starting strength coach. Mm, no. Help me fix that. And and then the tendonitis went away after I rehabbed it. So um, anyway, so we recently chatted about this when I talked about my multi-grip bar for my shoulder, right? Mm-hmm. Like online, we were talking about that. Mm-hmm. And that's an equipment change. But what are some strategies you use with clients when it comes to tendonitis recovery and continuing to make progress? Yeah. So um, definitely equipment change. Definitely um, some changes in the the actual lifts that we're doing. Um, it really depends on where the tendinopathy is and um, kind of what is is usually making it hurt or making it mm-hmm. worse. Um, so normally it is something like the squat or the bench press. Um, lots and lots of biceps tendinitis and... Um, uh, golfer's elbow, tenor, tennis elbow, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Um, so what I like to do for those cases is really reduce the the frequency of the main lift. So the number of times per week that you're exposed to that main lift. And um, especially if it's, if it's something like squat. So whenever I squat, my shoulder hurts, but nothing else does. We're definitely going to reduce the frequency of that per week. Um, and if you're, I, 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 usually we'll go about half. So if you're squatting three times a week, we'll reduce that to one and a half times per week. Same which, intensity, same rep set of reps. Same, or, yep. Yeah. Same intensity, same rep schemes. Okay. So we, we won't change the change the program at all. Um, if I do change the program, it normally will be like a, um, we'll go from a three day program to a four day program, but we lift three days a week. Cool. Okay. All right. Yeah, no, that's good to know. Um, is you said golfer's elbow that that's what i had before mm. what is that medial epicondylitis is that medial, <laughs> yeah. yeah right and and maybe tennis elbow some people get on the outside um mm-hmm. shoulder issues are those pretty common yep the shoulder issues are very common so some people will, will have it in the front and that's usually biceps tendonitis and then if yeah. you're experiencing in the back that can often be a um a rotator cuff issue yeah Okay. So yeah, definitely working with someone, but it sounds like you don't, it's not, you shouldn't just rest and stop altogether. I mean, maybe you there's should. a rest period. Yeah. You got to keep using it, right? Yeah. yeah you should, you should not rest and stop. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. good advice. Well, what about cardio? So we're, we're flying through, I like this. We're flying through a bunch of topics. This is cool. Um, you know, cardio, I don't know, it's sometimes contentious, you know, there's all sorts of extreme, again, media, social media people, you know, uh, what's his name? Um, Omar Isuf, you know, mm-hmm. with, um, he has a, the, sh- the company where he sells clothes and, uh, mm-hmm. actually have some of his graphic tees. One of them is cardio kills. And it has like a, <laughs> a it has like a person's skeleton with their flesh coming off as they <laughs> right run at a treadmill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, alluding to like the interference effect, which we, I think we know is a little bit less terrible than it, we thought it was. Mm-hmm. So there's the different types of cardio. There's, there's walking, there's high intensity, there's low and medium intensity. How much to do, whether it interferes with lifting, mm-hmm. whether you adapt to it, you know, things like that. So how does cardio, what, what is your general philosophy for how people should treat cardio if their preference is building muscle and size and strength? Yeah. So my, my philosophy is that, uh, you need to just do your damn cardio. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so, <Elaborate>. right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, how much and of what is going to depend on the person. Um, so, I know that when I was a big fat power lifter, I really didn't, I really didn't want to do much cardio. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't even do a whole lot of walking. Yeah. So, um, but you know, if. Uh, <laughs> 
we're all in this to improve our health and a little bit of cardio is not going to decrease that. Um, I also noticed that with myself and with my clients, um, your lifting performance doesn't suffer as long as you're not going overboard with stuff. So I like, um, your, your recommendation, which is half the amount of time Mm. of lifting for cardio. Yeah. I think that's pretty good. Uh, I saw that from Mike Matthews, by the way. Did you? Okay. It sounded familiar. I was like, that's good. I think I've heard it, but that's good. (laughs) I like it. Uh, yeah. So, so half the amount of time of lifting and if you're going to do something high intensity, so I have had clients who really enjoy boot camp stuff. Um, you know, we might, we might even bring that down to, to a quarter of the time of lifting because that, you know, too too much high intensity stuff is going to wipe you out. But I think if you're just walking, I really, really enjoy walking. Um, or you're doing some zone two training, mm. which is like you're on the, the elliptical or the treadmill or a bike or something, and you're working at a pace where you can hold a conversation mm. the entire time, not as easily as we are here, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't struggle to have a conversation. I think it's perfectly fine. Oh, that's what we should be doing is ha- walking on our treadmills. As walking well. on our treadmills. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get this I'm probably a little behind right now. Yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, cool. All right. So it's all, it's all very reasonable stuff. I mean, we're basically aligned on all this stuff and I'm glad the listeners is getting the reinforcement of these, Mm, these principles. A lot of it is just, it's like you said, just do your cardio, meaning we don't have to live in extremes or think that one thing is going to just totally destroy Mm -hmm. something else. Like listen to your body, do the things you enjoy. If you like to play sports, play sports, you're trying to be healthy. If you have a very, very specific goal, sure. You may have to like compromise and make trade-offs, but we're talking general health. So Speaking of that, like wearables come into that conversation as well. Uh, I'm a techie. I have an Apple Watch. I have an Aura Ring. And uh, I do like them for for steps and heart rate. And that's pretty much Mm -hmm. it. Plus all the other fun stuff. So Fitbit, Apple Watch, Aura Ring, all those. How can people get the most out of those in your opinion? Yeah. So the the way to utilize wearable trackers uh, is not to rely on the precision of them. So there's a difference between precision and accuracy. So the precision is how close to the actual number of steps Mm -hmm. they're able to calculate for the day. And then the accuracy is how often or how close of a repeatable measure they can get. Mm -hmm. So they may, wearable trackers are just not that precise. Um, I do a lot of testing for my clients and uh, I wear a bunch of different stuff. So I have an Apple Watch that is pretty much all the time. And I base everything else off of the Apple Watch because that seems to be kind of the most consistent thing. Sure. So I recently um, wore a Amazon Halo. And the amount of steps, the difference between the amount of steps per day between the two of them was almost 6,000 steps. Okay. Wow. However, that being said, they were both very, very consistent in being 6,000 steps off per day. So if you're utilizing these to, um, to track your steps or track your, your calorie expenditure per workout, or maybe your heart rate or anything like that, don't rely on the actual number that this thing is giving to you. But just like our weight is we're looking for trends over time. Sure. Good. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a good way to put it. Precision versus accuracy. I've seen the same when it comes to like body fat percentage. You know, you you mm-hmm. really can't rely on any of those devices. Yeah, but, everything. Yeah. yeah, but the trend is is not bad if you mm-hmm. do it repeatedly over time under the same conditions. Yeah. Um, 
even yeah, a DEXA, yeah, yeah even yeah, a DEXA, exactly. uh, other than MRI or um, somebody autopsy. could autopsy, <laughs> yeah. everything is wrong. <laughs> it's true. It's true. People need to know that. Um, yeah. And especially they need to know it because I don't want you, I don't want you getting super excited when that data says something and yeah. conversely super depressed when it says something when both could be completely wrong. You know? Yeah. So, oh, oh uh, a note on the Amazon Halo. So the app that that it comes with actually has a really, really good um, body fat estimator. So it actually uses the camera on your phone and you stand in front of the camera. So you set it up on a tripod or on the table or something, and it will actually take pictures of you front, side, back, and give you an estimate of your body fat score. And it seems to be um, uh, you know, uh, pretty close to even the Navy standard or even wow. body calipers. It's really, really accurate. Wow. And I, I could see why that might be when you use that uh, mm -hmm. high resolution camera combined with AI, maybe, and you could see those same mm -hmm. measurements you'd be taking with, uh, with, with tape. But by wow, that's cool. I didn't know that. I'm going to look into yeah. that. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty cool. cool. That's that's the one thing I like about it. Everything else, I don't. Care does it <laughs> does it require the Halo though? Because it almost sounds like you just do that with a camera and feed it into their software somehow. Yeah, you could probably you know? just download the app and just do it with the camera. I don't know I wonder, that it requires the Halo. I'm going to look into that, man. That could be yeah. a cool tool. Yeah, it's, it's very cool. I I stopped taping myself. Okay. Okay. That, that could be a, a game yeah. changer, man. Thanks. That's good. Thank, thank you selfishly yeah, to me. I yeah. feel like a bunch of people aren't listening to this, but the people <laughs> listening to it are going to love it too. Um, so just, we, I know we have a couple minutes left. I do have a hard stop at three mm -hmm. and you may as well, but, uh, the AI stuff, um, mm. I mean, what's your take on that? You know, the, there's a lot of discussions going on about, are we going to stop thinking, you know, <laughs> when we use, use these things, it's just going to do all our work for us. Like, what's your take on how do we, how we use things like chat GPT and Bing and Bard and all this stuff? Mm. Yeah. So right now I'm, I'm loving chat GPT. I think a lot of the information that it's given me, um, is, is sound and it is actually, it's helping me bypass the normal channels where people would usually go to get information on nutrition and health and all that stuff. And actually I'm getting to the scientists and to yeah. the research and um, you're not getting it secondhand from somebody. And, and, and so I think that people out there can really utilize chat GPT. If you're just starting out into this and you are kind of listening to a lot of different takes on stuff like the saturated fat just start asking the question anytime somebody makes a claim of something just ask is that true and you can go to chat gpt you can pose a question and a lot of the answers that i get from chat gpt are very very um good they're not black and white yes or no they have a lot of nuance to them you can also ask it to cite you sources mm -hmm. so you can go and look for yourself um, maybe you find something on a topic that's very long. Maybe you find a study. You can actually click the, uh, the web address, copy the web address, post it into the chat GPT bar and ask it to summarize this for you. Mm -hmm. And it does a, it does a fairly decent job at summaries. Um, it will tend to summarize one aspect instead of the whole thing, the totality of it. So right. you know, people have to keep that in mind. And you can tell but, it to do it like Mr. T. You can tell to do it like Mr. T or Snoop <laughs> or, Dogg. Or, or, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I'm all, listen, I mean, when it comes to technology and tools, I'm a techie, always have been with an engineering background and technology is always going to lead to uh, amazing new things and terrible new things. It just always mm. will, right? And yeah. so yeah. the good in the world and the, those of us who want to do good and, and 
um, you know, and, and make an impact, we, we can try to leverage those to the best, our ability to maximize that. You know, mm-hmm. I agree. So, um, okay. I want to ask you this. I asked of all guests, if you've, you've been listening to my show at all, I think, you know, what questions is coming, was coming. Yeah. What question did you wish I had asked and what is your answer? Who played the best Batman and why is it Ben Affleck? Very specific question. <laughs> That's a leading question, though. It's a leading question. Wow. Because <laughs> my wife would yeah. disagree. She would say it's uh, who was from, uh, it was Michael Keaton was the original in the early 90s. So, yeah. yes, but that is a different question. Who is Batman? Michael oh. Keaton is, is Batman. Oh, Especially who plays as, the best Batman? Who plays the best Batman? Whose Batman was the best? I think it's Ben Affleck because that is the Batman that is closely, more closely related to the DC comic than anything else. That's the Batman yeah. who's dropping people off of roofs okay. and chaining them up to the radiator and, you know, burning them with an iron in the shape of yeah, a bat yeah. to interrogate them to get information. So I really like his Batman. Uh, but yeah, like. What about Christian Bale? Christian Bale, pretty brutal. His his was good. I mean, I like it, but I f- I feel like his Batman is more of a Robin, not okay. Batman, because it's kind of it. like it's kind of acrobatic, and he's a little bit on the smaller side. Ben Affleck is a big dude, fair and, enough. Yeah, and so like you know the things that would a real Batman would have to like he'd have to be that big, you know what I mean? You know, speaking of big, what's what's the show? They they made one season. Is Reacher the new Reacher that came out mm, last year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See that guy's physique. Yeah, impressive. I mean, he's. I think he's natural. You kind of the, the the proportions seem natural to me, and he says he is. But you know how these things go, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and plus, he's like six four, so that helps. Yeah. Um, how tall are you, Dustin? I'm five ten. Five ten. All right. So we're about yeah. the same. We're about the same height. I have a little ways to go on the the size. So, all the right. Size. Cool. Um, great, man. So, where can listeners learn more about you and your work? Uh, yeah, so I am basically only on Facebook because I am just not a big social media person. So they can find me there and message me and, uh, if they have any questions, I'm happy to answer them. That's your personal profile? Dustin yes. Lambert? Yeah. All right. We'll link that in the show notes and awesome, man. Well, this has been a fun conversation. We covered a lot of different topics and, uh, you were, you were awesome. You know, your expertise shined through the listener I'm sure is going to get a ton of value from, what you just heard may have to listen to it again with everything we covered. So um, thank you again for coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. If you've been inspired by today's interview and are ready to take action and build momentum on your health and fitness journey, just schedule a free 30 minute nutrition momentum call with me using the link in my show notes. I promise not to sell or pitch you on anything, but I will help you gain some perspective and guidance so we can get you on the right track toward looking and feeling your best. Hey, before you go, I want to let you know about a free resource I have. They are free guides on everything from fat loss to eating out to building muscle to managing hunger to figuring out the best macros for you and more being added all the time. You want to get the most out of these podcasts and your time to look and feel your best, and these free guides will give you a quick and easy way to know what to do. If you want to get your hands on these completely free guides, you can head over to witsandweights.com slash free. That's witsandweights.com slash free to get your free guides and level up your results today.